Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now today we're going to be talking about cancer. Nobody likes to hear that word when they get that diagnosis. But these days there are a lot of great treatments that are helping people to make do great gains in their treatment of their cancer and also survive for longer than we ever anticipated before. Cancer does not have to be a death sentence for a lot of patients. And there are a lot of different things people go through along the way, from the initial diagnosis to some of the treatments to a new concept that a lot of folks are now becoming familiar with called survivorship. What is the new normal for people who get a diagnosis and who now need to learn how to deal with the rest of their lives now that they've been surviving cancer? What other medical conditions should they be careful about? Are there things that they need to be extra special cautious in? And how can they make sure that they continue to thrive in their health as well as they have so far? Well, today we've got two experts who are going to help us. First, we have a patient navigator, Heidi Robinson. She's got years of experience helping people when they first get diagnosed to understand what are the options? What kinds of things do they need to do? Do they need to learn? What can help them through this entire process? And then we also have Cisco Conde. He is an expert in survivorship, and he has started, along with Heidi, with the Straub Cancer Care Team, to really help patients from the beginning of the diagnosis towards their survivorship plan towards the end of the diagnosis, which hopefully they have been cured or maybe continue to be monitored. So today we're going to talk about those two elements of cancer care. A lot of times we talk about specific cancers and what types of treatments are out there, but we're going to talk about the other aspects of cancer care today. So joining me at the table in the studio, both Heidi Robinson, Cisco Conde, welcome to The Body Show. Hi there. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now let's talk about the situation. Let's just, I'm going to just pose a situation for you, Uh, Heidi. Let's just pretend I get diagnosed with cancer. Now I'm a patient and I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. Everybody's saying, well, you have to choose, you know, do you want to do what types of treatments and clinical trials and biopsies and transportation and radiation? And it's all like a flurry in my head. Yes. Okay, so I see a doctor, they say there's something on your scan or, or whatever cancer, we'll, we'll just say it's a breast cancer, okay. October Breast Cancer Awareness Month, let's just say that that's happening. And so I'm confused and I don't know what to do. Okay. What is a patient navigator and why would I want one? Okay, so navigation, there are, um, there are several different kinds of navigators. There's nurse navigators, there are social work navigators. Um, a navigator is a medical staff person who um, identifies barriers to care and who helps patients through their cancer journey. So we identify if there are transportation issues, if there are insurance issues and barriers, um, and we help um, also with communication between the different disciplines. So when a patient is diagnosed with cancer, there are three main treatment options. So you have um, surgery, radiation, or and or chemotherapy. So patients will have one of those three treatments, two of those three treatments, or all of those treatments. So between the different disciplines, it's very overwhelming for patients. Um, they have many doctor's appointments. They have many um, 
different, just so many appointments, um, different doctors, different treatment plans. It's very overwhelming for them to try and keep it straight as to which doctor you're seeing for what treatment, um, the, the timing of the appointments, the timing of the treatments, Am I getting this treatment? Am I not? And and really the communication between the different disciplines. So as a as a nurse navigator, um, it is my job to help the patient really put the the uh, pieces of that puzzle together and to help keep them on track, to help keep the appointments in a timely manner, um, to really keep the communication of the whole team together. So. Uh, to reach out to the radiation uh, physician and the medical oncologist and the surgeon to have everybody be on the same page about the treatment plan, to identify if the patient needs help with transportation. Let's say that they, you know, they're they're working and their spouse is working and they have small children and they need to go to daily radiation appointments and the spouse is still working and needs to get the kids to school. So now who's going to be bringing the patient to these appointments? So. Um, that's just one of the many things that we do in terms of identifying barriers to care and really helping these patients through that, providing emotional support, spiritual support. So really just identifying um, the many challenges that come with getting a cancer diagnosis. So you're kind of like the connector. It, absolutely, yes. Because yep. one of the things that, and I'm I'm guilty of this as I'm sure many providers are, is that, you know, it might be the... 30th time that I have diagnosed diabetes for someone in the last three months. And so I say to someone, you have this diagnosis. And there's this whole, with even with, with cancer, it's even bigger than this. There's this whole emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole process for wh- by which we bring our preconceived notions to the table about what that means. Mm-hmm. And so with all of that, as, the, as a physician, I may just forget that this is that individual's first time hearing that diagnosis for them. Yes. And anything else I say after, you know, in my world, it's often diabetes. It's often not necessarily cancer, but it can be. Mm-hmm. You have cancer or you have this serious illness. Mm-hmm. Anything I say after that, mm-hmm. they don't hear. No. Because the only thing going on in their head is that word. Absolutely. And I think cancer is something a lot of us fear. I fear it. I don't want to get it. Absolutely. And so when we hear those things, there's often a need for people to have additional support. Do you find that in addition to helping reach out to identify barriers, should people identify like a family member or a close friend who can kind of come with them, be their scribe, write down information, kind of help capture some of the things that might be said that they forget? Absolutely. And that is one thing that we do identify with the patients too. We um, ask if they have um, what their support, what their um, their support is at home. Do you have family support? Do you have friend support? Do you have church support? So we try and really identify what their network is. Um, and so we, we, we really try to dive into their, um, really their situation because they, they, they are going to need a lot of support. And you're absolutely right. Um, we, how we do it is we meet with all our brand new um, cancer diagnosis patients. And so it is the first time um, they have an idea that they have a you know cancer diagnosis, but it's really the first time that they're getting an idea of what that truly means. So beyond the clinical aspect of really absorbing what this means as far as treatment, they're trying to still absorb the fact that they have cancer. And like you just said that word, there's such a stigma to it. So um, many times people are you know like a deer in headlights. They're just trying to figure out that they'd still have cancer. And what does that mean? 
in terms of their daily life. Um, they're, again, still working and they have kids and you have just your normal daily life. And how does this play into that? Sure. I think yeah. a lot of times people will say, well, I, I don't know how to how to do whatever it might be, radiation treatments, because I've got to work every day. Mm-hmm. How can I take my lunch hour to go do this? Or, you know, I've got to take care of elderly loved ones yep. or, or young children. So the first thing that I often see happens is people worry about logistics. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get from point A to point B and still live my life, not get fired, work at my job, be able to provide for my family, be there for loved ones, et cetera. So often I think we just go right towards how do I do it? What are the logistics? Absolutely. And then you mentioned that there are some other barriers that just show up. Mm-hmm. Transportation may be one of them. Mm-hmm. Coordination of appointments is another one. Mm-hmm. Radiation doctors might be at a different facility. Then medical oncologists might be in a different location than surgeons. Mm-hmm. So all three of those need to be coordinated. Yep. Now, I know that Straub has also partnered with Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Yes. So that adds a whole other element of navigation because then do you often find yourself trying to be the communicator of all of that information? to folks? Yes. Yep. Yep. So we do have patients who are co-managed with um, Seattle Cancer Care providers as well as our local um, oncologists here at Straub. So that is definitely something that we do. We um, have direct contacts with providers and other um, navigators at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. So that is definitely something that we do as well um, as patient navigators as we keep that connection Um And we, again, just really try and keep the timeliness of these appointments and treatment plans um, because that's the last thing that we want to do is delay any kind of treatment that's going to be a benefit to the patient. So, yes. Well, and in that that very same light, for patients to get expeditious care but also have it done in a way that they can manage. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I often think that older people often get diagnoses and they require a lot of help because here mm-hmm. you are you may be in your 70s you now have a colon cancer and you also have to deal with surgery and radiation and mm-hmm. chemo transportation you might be living alone you might not have support there's a whole other element right. of those other areas that are so important to your treatment mm-hmm. but not necessarily something that your doctor would be aware of absolutely i often think about nutrition You know, what are some of the ways that that can also be incorporated into your care plan? Yes. And then navigating a consultation with the nutritionist with all of these other aspects of radiation and cancer and chemotherapy and and Mm -hmm. surgery and all these things. What are some of the common things that you see as a navigator that you've been able to help with? If you've walked people down down this journey Any success stories that you can share with us? Yes. um, One of the main things with um, our cancer population, I would have to say, is the um, financial toxicity that comes. Financial toxicity. Mm -hmm. That's a new term. I kind of just want to absorb that. Yes. Financial toxicity. Explain that one. Yeah. So financial toxicity is um, a lot of the chemotherapy treatments are quite expensive. So not only the, um, it's a lot of the oral chemotherapies that have high co-pays. So um, when patients are prescribed these oral chemotherapies and when insurance processes their portion of it, but there are still, again, these co-pays that are pretty pricey. Could be in the thousands of dollars. Literally like a 1000 to $2,000 and they're supposed to take these, you know, I mean, that's like on a monthly basis. So 
um, patients will call and say, I cannot afford this. And so we, um, as navigators, have to really basically find people um, money for these medications. So um, there is a process we go through. There are foundations out there that we really try and see and track down. Um, But the foundations only have, again, so much money to allocate. And once those funds are allocated, they close the foundations for a period of time until they replenish those funds. So um, many times we have to go to the manufacturer of the um, drug itself to try and apply that patient for financial assistance so that they can provide free drug. So it comes down to the fact that we never want to have a patient say, I can't get treated because I can't afford the medication. So I would say that that is definitely one of the top reasons, one of the top stressors and barriers is, is the financial piece of some of these chemotherapy drugs. Um, so I, yeah, I have some um, success stories of patients who um, we have, you know, found um, financial assistance for them. And it's it's great to be able to find that money for them so that they can just get their treatment and, and get better and, and stay on top of their tr- their recommended treatment plan in a timely manner. Well, and so. it's hard because lots of insurances have, you know, co-pays or certain amounts of money that's allocated for different types of treatments mm-hmm. and, you know, oral treatments, some of the pills that people can take, very convenient mm-hmm. because it's a pill you can take at home. You don't need to be in a hospital, get an infusion. Mm-hmm. So there is a savings for the overall cost, but often that's just added on to the cost of the oral medicine. So yes. now we have this very expensive drug that we need to give to individuals to help them with their various types of cancer concerns, and yet it's it's still exorbitantly pricing people Absolutely. out of the market. So, you know, that's another aspect yeah. of care. You know, treating cancer should not be done in such a way that only people who are rich can afford it. I know. Absolutely. So that would be uh, financial toxicity. Is That's yes. financial toxicity. That's what that not is. Not just what happened in the markets today, although no. I don't know what happened yet because I haven't looked. But okay. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting concept that a lot of people don't realize is right. the additional stress of knowing this is going to cost a lot. Mm-hmm. Co-pays for every radiation treatment. Yeah. And if you have to do it for five or six weeks, that's a lot of co yep. And the testing, you know, you're getting scanned a lot. So CT scans, MRIs, even if you do have insurance, after insurance covers it, you're still having bills, you know, in the hundreds. And so that adds up. Um, co-pays for your doctor's appointments, all the labs you're getting. So it really is, it really does add up. Um, patients have to take time off of work. So then they're saying, okay, I have to, you know, you you really have to get into like your long-term disability. So we all know that you don't get paid maybe 100%. You're getting paid at like 50 or 60%. So now your your paycheck is cut and you're still having to pay your bills. So it really just starts turning your world upside down. And if you still have to pay your mortgage and you have, you know, all your bills to pay in your, in your so it, it really starts adding up. And so on top of having a cancer diagnosis and trying to figure out how you're going to really survive this, you're having to think of all of this on top of it. So so financial toxicity is, is definitely, I would say, the number one um, stressor. The logistics on top of it all. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Heidi Robinson. She is a nurse navigator trying to help patients figure out what to do, where to go, and what comes next when they're getting a diagnosis of cancer. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Cisco Conde. He is an expert in survivorship. If you are doing well enough to actually have survived your cancer, why is it important to consider this other aspect of care and how this can help your overall treatment plan? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Heidi Robinson, part of the Seattle Cancer Care Team, and Cisco Conde. He is your survivorship expert. And we're talking today about the overall treatment of cancer. Now, we know that physicians and nurse practitioners and surgeons and physician assistants, they're all part of a team in addition to the nurses and the navigators, that nowadays when we treat cancer, it's an entire team process. This is a team sport. We can't win unless everybody's playing to their utmost capacity. And that's the way we can help people to get better. So one of the things we just spoke about is where does a patient navigator role come into play? How can that help someone when they get diagnosed to just try and manage some of the logistics of what you do when you get this diagnosis, who you see, and when you go to see them? And now we're going to talk with Cisco Conde. Now, you've been in addition to the Straub Cancer Team because your focus is on survivorship. Yes. Now, why is that? You know, if I if I got treated for my cancer and I was told you are now in remission, I'd be like, yay, you know, jumping up in the in the ocean, so excited, delighted that I had survived and never want to think about it again. But that's not really the best way to handle the situation. So what is survivorship and who are we focusing on? Well, as you mentioned earlier, when the patient uh, hears the word cancer, they automatically think that they're going to die. But the good news is that now, cancer is considered a chronic disease for most cancers. And uh, this year, it is estimated that there are over 16 million cancer survivors here in the United States, and that number continues to grow. And so why survivorship is so important is because, uh, number one, when patients are done with their cancer treatment, whether it's surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, as well as hormonal therapy, these treatments can have side effects and some can linger on perhaps months or even years after the treatment is over. For example, uh, with breast surgery, uh, women may experience lymphedema. Uh, those who had chemotherapy, they may have neuropathy, which could affect their uh, daily activities, such as buttoning their shirt or lifting small objects. Um, so it's important to uh, monitor and manage those lingering side effects from the treatment. The other thing is surveillance. Many patients, when they're done with their cancer treatment, often ask, what's next? Who's going to monitor the cancer, and what kinds of tests do I need to monitor the cancer? And so uh, that's the other uh, aspect of survivorship. We monitor for cancer recurrence as well as late effects from the cancer treatment. Now, late effects from cancer treatment mean that they might have had chemotherapy, and so they may at later on in life uh, maybe develop some secondary cancers such as leukemia or lymphoma. Um, they may, if they are on an, an aromatase inhibitor such as anastrozole, that could cause osteoporosis later on. So we're going to monitor for any late effects from the treatment. And then the third aspect of survivorship is wellness. Because they have gone through this uh, cancer diagnosis, 
a life-altering event, and there is this fear of recurrence, that is a big motivation to promote uh, healthy behaviors as well as wellness. So we talk about uh, nutrition, physical activity, and other things to promote um, their their health. So part of what I'm hearing you say is, you know, we used to think if you get a diagnosis of cancer, the rest of your life totally altered, and you may never be healthy again. But what we really want to focus on is you could survive this particular cancer, and we want you to develop strategies so that you can work on the rest of your life, the rest of your time, and spend it wisely, but also decrease your chances that you're going to have a problem. So you mentioned that one of the aspects would be surveillance. So when we talk about doing surveillance of someone who's had cancer, we talk about looking for a recurrence of that cancer, but we also talk about screening for cancers that they should just be screened for because of certain age time brackets. And so it wouldn't necessarily be that if you have had one cancer, you just don't bother doing your pap smears or mammograms or colonoscopy. You probably have to keep even closer watch on those because once you have a cancer, you may be more likely to develop another type of cancer. Right. Um, So for example, if a patient had chemotherapy, they may develop leukemia or lymphoma later on. If they had radiation, they may get some type of skin cancer. Um, so, so those are the other things that, that we monitor. So not just age-related cancers and risk, but also potential treatment-related cancers and risk. Right. Because, you know, if you, if you do get treatment for something and that treatment is life-saving, then there may be some side effects to that treatment. And you probably still would have gone through the treatment regardless, but monitoring for those other effects. So you Mm -hmm. mentioned neuropathy might affect that sort of inability to feel your hands or your fingertips or sometimes your feet. That might affect someone's lifestyle getting dressed, picking up small objects, even just doing things with their hands. Are there other common things that are side effects to treatments that are easy to manage? I mean, neuropathy may or may not improve. Are there other things that when you identify them, you can have some kind of an impact on? Uh, There are many. Uh, One of them is uh, particularly among men with prostate cancer. Um, If they had surgery, such as prostatectomy or radiation therapy to the prostate, it could cause sexual dysfunction. Uh, Another is urinary incontinence. for women, um, chemotherapy, as well if they had radiation to the pelvic area, it could cause ov- a temporary ovarian suppression where their ovaries stop working. And so the, the concern is, are they going to be able to have uh, children in the future? Uh, so that's another important uh, side effect that, that we continue to monitor. Well, sure. And it sounds like with some of the erectile dysfunction issues, there may be medications that can Mm -hmm. help with urinary incontinence. There may be some other types of either medicines or procedures. And then, you know, the other area that I think is now, it's, it's probably always been emerging, but now is coming to the forefront, is when younger people get diagnosed with cancer, trying to do something to preserve fertility for them. So looking at prior to doing chemotherapy, doing some type of you know, IVF series and maybe just creating embryos to be implanted later or doing some type of, you know, 
frozen oocytes or sperm so that you can still consider conception at a later date, particularly if you're diagnosed with cancer in your 20s or 30s when these are your prime fertility years and you may not be able to gain fertility back depending on your treatment. So lots of things to think about that I think a lot of times are not the first thing that goes through your mind when you get diagnosed, but very important. Now, another aspect that I think, honestly, over the years, I found to be invaluable in the ad hoc way that we've been able to do this, connecting people who have a diagnosis with someone else you know who has that diagnosis, is sort of the concept of a survivalship group. Mm -hmm. Survivorship where people share their stories and they kind of help provide support to one another. Is there an element where that becomes an important role in promoting overall wellness? Yes, that's that's very important. And for many cancer survivors, once they've gone through the cancer experience and have completed their treatment, they have this sense that they want to give back and help someone else. Uh, some some cancer survivors describe it as being a mentor or an alumni, and they can relate to someone else who's um, just been diagnosed or going through the treatment. And so at the Straub uh, Oncology Clinic, uh, we've actually, um, with Heidi and other navigators, in addition to the social workers, we've started a monthly cancer support group where uh, cancer survivors, those who are newly diagnosed, those who are going through treatment, can meet once a month uh, to share their experiences. And that's, you know, the ad hoc basis. I remember when I first started in medicine, I would have one patient with a diagnosis, someone else who would get the same diagnosis, and I'd call the first one, say, can I have the second one call you? And, you know, just to sort of provide that one-to-one support. But it's it needs to be done on a bigger, grander scale. And so it sounds like what you've established is a way for people who have walked, I like the way you describe it, an alumnus. They mm-hmm. have graduated all these treatments. They often have that perspective that even providers, we don't. You know, for someone who's been down that road, who knows exactly what it's like and how someone is feeling, that ability to sympathize and empathize with them and give them some advice on even just some common sense things that I may have no idea about that can help someone else going through that treatment Mm -hmm. is invaluable. And you're right. It makes you want to give back. It makes you want to help the next person along. So creating that family of alumni. I like the way you Mm -hmm. say it, the alumni. Mm-hmm. And that's often done in coordination. Heidi, I know that, you know, as from the navigator perspective, you're starting the process with someone. And Cisco, from the survivorship perspective, you're helping to close that loop and then still bring all of those pieces together. Right. So how does survivorship and navigation work in coordination and, and combination? Yeah, so we actually work beautifully together. We um when I first you did meet right now. <laughs> <laughs> when when I first meet with the patients, um we actually I actually uh mentioned Cisco and that he's, you know, we're all part of the same team. Um and then um we actually uh, they'll they'll actually see Cisco within the first 2 weeks. Um, whether it be after their next follow-up appointment with the physician or Cisco will usually meet with them at like their first uh, chemotherapy appointment. So we we really just introduce each other as part of the team. Um, and then I we are also part of uh, the survivorship care plan, which is what Cisco um, delivers to the patients at the end of their treatment. And we all work on it together together. Um, 
really adding pieces to it throughout their journey. And so um, we are many times the ones starting that piece um, in their medical chart. And so once I start that, I send Cisco a message saying, hey, I just started their survivorship care plan. Give them a heads Mm -hmm. up. He's like, okay, thanks. And so we communicate um, with the regarding the patient from the very beginning with each other so and throughout the rest of the journey mm-hmm. so yeah and in survivorship uh, we continue to collaborate with patient navigators um, as Heidi mentioned earlier about financial toxicity some of these patients they might have to go to the mainland for a bone marrow transplant and then when they're done with their treatment they come back to the island and then they get this huge bill from mm-hmm the mainland facility. So mm-hmm. then in that example, then I'll, I'll coordinate and work with Heidi as well as other navigators to help. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today. From the beginning to the survivorship, to the graduation of a diagnosis of cancer, and hopefully for everyone, a successful treatment, this is really one of the most important things that this team approach is bringing to the collaborative treatment of cancer. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast or go to the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next time when we talk about more important health topics on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.